Hello, congregation. Welcome to our next Sunday in Lent. And introduction, I'm Mike McKenna. I have been going to uh, Regen for quite a while with our family. I was first introduced here by our daughter, who came here because she's looking for a place that had a heart for the people and a heart for the city. And, and uh, we sent her here, and then we snuck in while she was out of the country, and we haven't left. So, welcome. Let's uh, pray. Lord, we just ask you to be here, to be present, to be among us. We ask you to open our hearts as we hear from your word. And we ask you to be here with me as I share the word and to be with the rest of us as we hear the word and bring it in. And we meditate on Jesus on his journey to the cross during this time of Lent. Thank you. So, Jesus, through the eyes of Pontius Pilate, as we go through this journey looking at the road to Gethsemane, through the eyes of the people that were on that road, we get different points of view on who Jesus was perceived to be and, and also who Jesus is. So before this point, before what we're looking at this Sunday, uh, Jesus had been betrayed by Judas. He had been handed over to Caiaphas, and the chief priests and the elders were arguing back and forth, and they decided they wanted to have Jesus out of the picture. But they also realized that they are under Roman occupation and that only the Romans had authority to actually execute anyone. So we start with John 18, 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we, we would not have delivered him over to you. So that's her first accusation is... He's doing evil, but no real specifics. So we'll step back a little bit and say, well, who is Pontius Pilate? So Pontius Pilate had arrived in Judea in 26 AD, a few years before this. He was, uh, we hear the term Pontius Pilate. So no, he did not fly airplanes. And no, he did not have any association with Pilates. If you pronounce his name in Latin, it would be... Uh, Pontius Pilate. So when you say Pilates, you're close, but that is not Pontius Pilate. So the Pontius, or the, Pont, uh, the Pontius, came from the Ponti family, which had been a tribe that had had wars against Rome and had eventually been um, taken over by Rome. And that family were considered to be among the equestrian class, which would be like uh, in feudal society, uh, knights, or the lowest level of the highest class of society. So Pilate was good friends with a high-ranking official by the name of Sejanus. And Sejanus was high-ranking in Tiberius's court, Emperor Tiberius. Also, Sejanus and Pilate had this passion for the supremacy of Roman society and looked down upon any other group, and in this case in particular, Jews. 
So Sejanus thought it would be a good idea to have uh, Pontius Pilate assigned to become the prefect or the governor of Judea over the center of uh, Jerusalem. So he was not necessarily a friendly person to be in charge of the occupation of Rome in Jerusalem and Judea. He had made a number of faux pas. When he first came in to Judea, he marched in a legion of Roman soldiers to the fort in Jerusalem, and they came bearing banners that had Emperor Tiberius's image and his name on the top. And as he walked through, that was just a something that the, the chief priest did not like at all because it's against the law in Jerusalem to have graven images, especially since the emperor took claim to becoming de being deity himself. So they staged a protest outside of the palace and they said, uh, come, kill all of us, just kill us all. And uh, Pontius uh, Pilate said, that might not be a good way to have an entrance as governor, so he backed off. But that doesn't mean he backed off completely and let the Jews govern their own lives there. He took treasure from the temple to create an aqueduct. So he's trying to do supposedly something good for them by creating an aqueduct, public works projects, but he was taking treasure from the temple to do that. He also had other issues with the fort and the palace in Jerusalem. It's the King Herod's palace. That's where the governor would stay when he was in town. King Herod the Great, you might remember him from when Jesus was born. He was the one who sent out soldiers to kill all the children under two years old. Um, within the palace, he put in uh, shields all around the palace that had Tiberius's name on it and also Tiberius's image. And the Jews rebelled against that as well, having graven images around. So he had a number of, um, how could you say, uh, conflicts or run-ins with the Jews. And he wasn't exactly their friend, but he was the governor, and he is the one who had authority to execute. So going back to John 18, 31, Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was to die, which uh, Jesus had prophesied in Matthew, it says, Matthew 20. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So Jesus had prophesied what kind of death he was going to die. The disciples weren't quite sure why that was going to happen. But in the meantime, Pilate is saying, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I want to maintain a good standing of a good name to the emperor and executing a, an innocent man might be taken in the wrong way if it ever got up to the Roman courts. So going into, we'll take a look at Luke, Luke 23. When Pilate heard that most of the events happened in Galilee, he said, well, is this man a Galilean? 
And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. And he was hoping to see some signs. The chief priests and the scribes in the meantime stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, they sent him back to Pilate. So who was Herod Antipas? So I won't spend too much time on him because we're talking about Pontius Pilate. But Herod was the tetrarch for Galilee, the region where Jesus did most of his miracles up around the Sea of Galilee. He was the son of Herod the Great by his first wife. He was married to his stepbrother's wife. His stepbrother was the son of Herod the Great's third wife. And he took his stepbrother's wife as his own, and she happened to be his niece, who was the daughter of the son of Herod's second wife. So this is why John the Baptist said, you, your wife is not yours lawfully. You're not lawfully your wife. And what ultimately ended up in uh, John the Baptist's head being served on a platter at a function before Herod. So Herod is not a terribly nice guy either, although he liked to keep interesting people around so he could talk to them and pick their brains and things. And so he was super excited that Jesus was finally there in front of him. He had heard about him a lot. Um, you might remember the centurion who said, if you say it, it will be done. And I know if I have a commander and he gives a command and the command shall be done. There was also a high-ranking official who asked that his son be healed. And Jesus said, oh, you people of little faith, won't you believe unless you see signs? Go, your son is healed. And he found at the same hour when he got home, that was the time that the fever left him. Being a high-ranking official, it would have been under Herod Antipas, and Herod would have heard about it. So now here's Jesus in front of him, and, and maybe he's going to do some signs well, that isn't why God does miracles. God does not do magic on command. We don't pray for selfish reasons and we can't expect to have something happen. We can pray for miracles and if it's for entertainment or for our own gain, good chance it is not going to happen. But God does do miracles. Um, share a quick story. Years ago, when um, my wife Mary and I, when we were first married, we spent a year in India doing missions research and photojournalism for World Christian Magazine. And one of my jobs that I was assigned to was to investigate on how the Every Home Crusade was doing. This is where they sent a Bible to every home, and people could send in by correspondence to get more literature and information about how to read the Bible and so on. And you ended up with little groups of believers here and there through India, and they formed what they call Christ groups. And they thought, well, how are we going to reach out to these people? And there was one man uh, I interviewed who was from a village from one of the tribal areas in the north, and he was a missionary who rode a bicycle. And every week, takes seven days, he would ride from one village 
one day to the next village, the next day, the next village, the next day. And there was one village he was having a lot of success with the Christ group, and they were growing in the Lord, having a tremendous faith. And there was a shaman who was always there arguing and yelling and trying to get him out of the village. And the shaman finally said, we've had a drought for three months. Why doesn't your God do something about this drought? And um, it's true, it's people, they weren't able to, uh, to harvest. It was important to have the water. And the, the missionary said, okay, I'll pray. And he did pray. And as he prayed, there was a cloud off in the distance that started to grow. And as it started to grow, it started to turn gray and then black and then came over the village and next thing you know there's a torrential rain pouring down on the village and from that point on everyone in that village believed except the shaman. No other villages got rain but it was a miracle nonetheless. And looking at uh, John 11, Jesus was confronted with the news that Lazarus was about to die. Your friend is very ill and he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. God creates, uh, does miracles and signs and wonders for the glory of God. And John 20, at the very end, says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but they are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. God also brings about things that are miraculous so that people might believe in him and his name. They aren't something to be given by command or for our entertainment. So as we move on, um, Herod, sends him back to Pilate and says, he won't talk, he won't do any signs, I'm bored, get rid of him, you take him. Um, so we go to John 18, 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so are you a king? Jesus answered him, you say uh, that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is the truth? So Pilate is thinking in terms of a Roman knight of a royal class from a Roman society point of view. And when he hears the term leader or king, he's thinking of a king over people, a king with land, a king with uh, a palace or a fortress. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate is confused. He says, this is not somebody that I should be trying. It's a little strange, but 
okay, but I don't really understand it. So take a look at Luke. Pilate comes before, is called together the chief priests in Luke 23, 13. Uh, calls together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man who was mis saying he was misleading the people and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. And in Matthew 27, 18, what Pilate didn't say to the priests was, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife had sent word to him, have nothing to do with this righteous man. I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So Pilate is getting a number of different messages. He says, there's nothing this man has done to deserve death. My wife is totally freaked out by a dream that has come to her to say that, just don't touch this man. And so when Pilate heard that, he was just a little bit frightened about what was going on. But so he could just release him. But Pilate, in the meantime, is now in trouble. Sajanus, who got him this job, remember, he had been plotting to overthrow Tiberius. Sajanus had been caught. Sajanus was executed, and now they were going to find out who else was working with Sajanus. And message, uh, the word had gotten all the way through to Judea. And so Pilate is on politically on pins and needles, and potentially his neck is on pins and needles for fear that he might possibly have to go uh, present before Tiberius for his friendship to Sajanus and how he got this job. So he can't afford a riot right now because if a riot occurred, that's gonna go straight to Rome about what had happened and he may have his own head served on a platter before Tiberius. So John 18:38 in Jerusalem, there's a tra tradition that had built up uh, in the Romans towards the Jews to keep them, uh, uh, throw, throw some things out to them as part of their occupying and call it the Paschal Pardon. So John 18, 38. So after Pilate had said this about what is truth, he went back outside to the Jews and told them again, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. He's called a few other things in the Bible. Barabbas has been called an insurrectionist. He's been called a murderer. And you take a look and compare Barabbas to Jesus. We have Barabbas the robber versus Jesus the healer. We have Barabbas the insurrectionist versus Jesus the redeemer. We have Barabbas the murderer versus the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. So you can't have someone that is more different from the other. Now Pilate may not have been 
as aware as Herod of Jesus, the healer, Jesus, the redeemer, Jesus, the one who raises people from the dead. But he did know that Barabbas was not somebody that you would necessarily want to invite over for dinner as a Roman official, as one of the chief priests. And uh, so we also know that Barabbas probably had not been tried yet because in the Roman courts, if you were tried, found guilty, and sentenced to death, you were executed that day. So why not present Barabbas before the chief priests? Surely they're not going to choose him. But we find going into John 19. So then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed it him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. Continuing on in 19, 19, 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to him, to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made him out, he has made himself to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. So why would Pilate be afraid? when they said he was to be the son of God. Well, remember Pilate, he believes in the supremacy of Roman culture, which has with it the pantheon of all the gods. It has uh, mixed in with the Greek culture and the, the various gods in the Greek culture. And for someone to come out and say, for them to say is the son of God, says, I need to treat lightly on, I might be careful about this because with the Roman religions, they also had a real strong concept of karma, that if you do something bad, something bad is going to come to you. And so when he heard that, he was, in, especially with the, the dream that had come from his wife, says, I'm not sure I want to be a part of this. So John 19, 9. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So John 19, 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, remember he's in trouble. Remember he doesn't want to have a riot. Remember he doesn't want to be sent to face Tiberius after his friend Sejanus had just been executed for trying to overthrow Caesar. 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. 
Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover and it was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. So in Matthew 27, 24, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Coming back to John 19, 15 to 16. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So that's really an important statement there when they say we have no king but Caesar. The priests and the Pharisees and uh, the Jews going back to just after being released and set free from exile wasn't long before they were calling for a king and they got Saul. Um, the prophets who were trying to, who were out speaking God's voice to them were reviled, they were persecuted, but it didn't stop there. It's been throughout history that church leaders have gone after kings and people in the church crying out that we want a king. Uh, the uh, Pharisees, the priests in, the Jew in Jesus' time wanted Jesus dead because he was not following the rules they were envious of his power. We heard that from Pilate. They were envious of his popularity and the people following after him. And also Jesus spoke the truth. He called them brood of, a brood of vipers. He was out there turning over the, the tables of the moneylenders in the, uh, in the temple. So the church throughout history has seen people who rise to power and then power goes to their head. And then that power and those people create rules for how they think things should be done. And then ultimately people, power, and those rules end up being worshipped instead of Jesus. Then over time, believers rebel because they want to uh, follow Jesus through the word and the spirit. Then those believers are persecuted or they're excommunicated or they're cast out from whatever church they're in. We've seen this through the Reformation when uh, Luther and people rose up and uh, left the Catholic Church and it was a tremendously bloody time as they left. It wasn't the church they were leaving, but it was, in essence, an extension of the Roman Empire that the church had become. We see it in how the various sects in um, Christianity have risen out from the Reformation. Each time where the church had died over time as they started to follow people and power and rules that believers rose up to follow the word and to follow Jesus through power and the spirit. History keeps repeating itself when they say we want a king. So Pilate recognized Jesus as a king. We don't know if he did it to spite the Jews 
were to make fun of the Jews or out of the sincerity of his heart that this man is a king from above. But we do know in John 19, 19, Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. So when Jesus was sent out to be crucified, on the cross it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So we're culminating our time in looking at Jesus through the eyes of Pilate. And we have a few things that we need to remember. And the first is that when we pray, we pray asking for God's kingdom to come. And God can and oftentimes does work miracles or signs and wonders, but he does it for his glory or he does it so that others might believe. God's miracles are not something that we can call down for our own use, and he is not someone that walks on our command. We are to walk according to his command. We have to remember that we are members of a kingdom, that this kingdom is not of this world, but this kingdom is above, that God's kingdom is eternal, it's eternal both in time, from now to the end of time, but it's also eternal right now in that when we are in Christ and in the Spirit, that there are no bounds to God's love. There are no bounds to what God can do through salvation. There are no bounds to what God is capable of doing. And that we are to worship Jesus. We're not worshiping a person on this planet we are not worshiping a set of rules. We are not worshiping power in an organization. We are worshiping Jesus as Christ who has set us free and has set us free indeed. So thank you. So we thank you, Lord, for this time to hear from your word. We thank you, Lord, for giving us insight in seeing Jesus through the eyes of Pilate. We thank you, Lord, that you have come and brought us into your kingdom. And Lord, may we continue to remember that we are worshiping you in your kingdom. We're not worshiping a man or power or position, but we are worshiping you. We thank you, Lord. takes us time to have communion. So we have elements, get, if you have them at home, get your elements out. And we have, uh, this is from Mark 14. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, eat, this is my body, which was given for you. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, 
which is poured out for many. All right. Thank you.